0: chapter thirty four of the apostle of alaska the story of william duncan of metlakahtla by john w arctander this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by phil Schempf. the new home the next evening mr robeson learned that mr duncan had left for washington the members of the government slept easier that night mr duncan says it grieved me to hear when i returned from washington that the premier was dead the magnificent house which this ex-farmer was building for himself in victoria stood there half finished and now abandoned the attorney-general was dying and could not be seen since then every one connected with his crying injustice has died the vengeance is mine saith the lord at the meeting of the indians at metlakahtla so it was afterwards learned a great conflict had been raging many wanted to take up arms and martial feeling ran high it seemed to these people as if there was nothing to live for now justice had been denied them everywhere by ministers and governors and premiers and now at last by the courts their final hope their last resort the church was harassing them the state was incarcerating them and stealing the possessions which they had inherited from the fathers of their fathers we might as well make a last stand they said just as well first as last just as well fight and kill and die as to have these highway robbers take away from us the land which our fathers possessed for hundreds of years before a white man put a foot in british columbia the more earnest christians pleaded for alaska a christian can suffer he can die but he cannot kill they said let us go to the great land of the free we are slaves here there we can be free men we love this land we love this beautiful place where our fathers lived and where our children were born but we love christ more two wrongs cannot make one right let us go to alaska where we can worship god as we think right where there will be no bishop to worry and tantalize us where as mr duncan tells us everyone can have his own religion without any persecution either from church or government let us go to a peaceful life to a life in god and the christians won the day the delegation was sent down to ask mr duncan to go to washington and ascertain if the Metlakatla indians would be allowed to come to alaska to seek a refuge there from their troubles and whether they would be received as citizens of the country and be protected in their rights if so they were willing to go and leave all go where they would be free to worship their god as their consciences dictated without interference or worry from priest bishop or society mr duncan thought it best first to appeal to some christian friends in this country of whom he had read before addressing the proper officers of the government at washington and to ascertain from them the best modus operandi and he did not appeal in vain to grand warm-hearted men like the silver-tongued episcopalian bishop phillips brooks in boston and the patriotic henry ward beecher in brooklyn both of them opened their magnificent churches for him and gave him their moral support in a unanimous request by their congregations to our government to grant these homeless indians a refuge in our alaskan archipelago arrived at washington he was received by the representatives of our government president cleveland his secretary of state and of the interior and his attorney general with friendly feelings and assured privately that he and his indians were welcome to choose themselves a home in alaska and that in time undoubtedly some action would be taken by the congress fully to secure them in their rights if they themselves would select an island suitable to their purposes but that officially nothing could at the time be done which might be construed by great britain as an unfriendly act to the canadian government or to the government of any of its provinces this promise was honorably redeemed when in eighteen ninety one at the solicitation of these same government officials as well as of the then governor of alaska the congress of the united states did by the act of march 30, 1891 until otherwise provided by law set apart the body of land known as the annette islands in alexander archipelago in southeastern alaska as a reservation for the use of the metlakahtla indians and such other of the alaska natives as may join them to be held and used by them in common under such rules and regulations and subject to such restrictions as may be prescribed from time to time by the secretary of the interior mr duncan never overlooks anything he had foreseen the possibility of his people being obliged to immigrate to alaska in order to enjoy religious and civic liberty and for that contingency he had already looked up where eligible and desirable sites for the new colony might be found as soon as it was made apparent to him that a way would be open to their immigration to alaska he wrote to mr tomlinson and to dr j d bluett duncan a devoted christian gentleman of means from england who had at home read about the wonderful colony built up under mr duncan's fostering care and some two or three years before had come out to sea with his own eyes and had remained to give the indians without cost or charge the benefit of his professional services and in other ways to give mr duncan what assistance he could mr duncan's letter suggested that a deputation of indians should go at once and examine certain eligible sites for a new colony which he suggested and select the one that seemed to them best this was done at once five indians accompanied by dr bluett duncan started on a voyage of exploration seventy miles north of the old village on the other side of dixon entrance they came to port chester on the northwest side of annette island the beautiful waterfall giving promise of a splendid water power the sheltered bay the fine canoe beaches the gently rising stretch of land directly back of the beach the luxurious growth of cedars spruce and hemlock all one upon their eyes and one of the indians said it is no use to go any further we can certainly not find anything finer than this if we go a thousand miles this voiced the opinion of all thus on the twenty fifth day of march eighteen eighty seven one of the loveliest spots in alaska was selected as the new home in the country of the brave and the free for the persecuted and hounded metlakahtla indians here under the protection of the stars and stripes this race which had already made such wonderful strides in civilization christian virtues and civic progress should recover from the cruel blows given it by bigotry and priestcraft And its little village should blossom forth in peace and prosperity as the model Christian community of Alaska, the far away northland, its fame to redound into all lands and among all people. The Indians who had the honor of selecting this new home of the colony were David Leask, John Tate, Edward Benson, Adam Gordon, and Fred Ridley. The explorers at once returned to their home and made a glowing report of what they had found the selection was in a short time ratified by all thanks be to god peace should once more reign among them strife and vexatious irritation and continuous brawling should cease happiness shone in every face word was sent to mr duncan notifying him of their selection of the new home soon pioneers were dispatched to build temporary huts near the beach while the rest of the villagers went on their usual summer tours to gather and put up the winter supply of food july gone and the canoes returning many started directly for the new home to assist in the work of erecting the temporary houses on august 7th 1887 about noon a gun announced the arrival of the steamer ancon it brought mr duncan who landed at once accompanied by some american gentlemen on board a temporary flagstaff was rigged up and under the boom of a cannon the stars and stripes were hoisted for the first time on that shore the indians with solemn mien, uncovered their heads as the silken banner a present from friends in the states slowly rose above them and unfurled to the breeze of the most beautiful colors any nation could ever boast of speeches were made by the hon h r dawson united states commissioner of education and by mr duncan but more eloquent than the speeches were the silent tears glistening in the eyes of the stalwart indians as they were looking admiringly up at the flag under whose protecting folds the future of their little nation was to be lived they spoke of the untold sufferings and sorrows of the past years they also spoke eloquently of the living hope of the relief the future would bring and with silent praise to god for their deliverance there arose to the throne of the almighty at that moment i am told from those indian hearts many a wish for the success of the great nation which now held its protecting banner above the little persecuted flock since that day there are four great holidays celebrated at metlakahtla every year christmas day the birth of the christ new year's day the birth of the year fourth of july the birth of the nation and the seventh of august pioneer day as it is called the birthday of new metlakahtla for so was the new haven of rest christened at three o'clock that day divine services were held on the beach the first conducted by mr duncan in american alaska then in song and praise and prayer in the soft flowing language of the tsimsheans the native heart was lifted up to and beyond the beautiful flag now floating above their heads into the holy of holies of the glorious heavens the next morning while mr duncan's effects including a complete steam sawmill outfit which he had brought in portland were unloaded and stored in the log-house built for him filling it to overflowing he himself was compelled to live in a tent during the first fall months george usher a prominent native was by him sent back to old metlakahtla to bring the indians there news of the arrival of their leader as george usher ploughed the blue sapphire waves of the north pacific with his paddle he composed a song or chant with which to greet his people when he arrived in the inlet at old Metlakahtla, he did not run his canoe up on the beach indian fashion he stopped a little distance from shore where he rested on his paddle someone on shore espied and recognized him like lightning the message flew through the village the steamer which was supposed to carry the chief had been seen pass by going north a couple of days ago in the twinkling of an eye it seemed the beach was black with people who swarmed out of their homes and yards men women and children the whole village was there even some of the bishop's party ventured forth then came over the waves in words of song the glad message in their own beloved tongue the great chief has come he has gone to our new home now he sends me to you he bids you come one and all we shall be slaves no longer the land of freedom has accepted us the flag of the boston men is hoisted at the sight of a new it will protect us and our freedom we can worship god in peace we can secure the happiness of our children they will be the freemen of a great nation come therefore one and all gather your little ones around you push the canoes from the beach good wind will fill our sails we will hasten to the land of freedom hardly had the last note died away over the waves when the scraping of the canoe keels on the sand was heard in less than an hour ten canoes filled with men anxious to see with their own eyes their new home were on the way after temporary log huts were erected the return voyage was made and now as the pilgrim fathers of old they came back with women and children and with what little of their possessions they were allowed to take in canoe fleets towed across dixon entrance by their little cannery steamer princess louise and by the methodist gospel boat glad tidings chartered for the occasion it stands to reason that many a tear glistened in the indians black eyes as they left their old home where their fathers had lived for generations back where their children had been born where they themselves had seen the great light and been received into christ's church on earth where they left so many of their dear departed behind but though cruel persecution asserted itself at the very last moment and denied them the right to take along even the windows and doors of the houses they themselves had built the sawmill machinery and the lathes and other machinery they had owned the looms they had bought and paid for the very organ in their church to which every indian had contributed his two dollars and fifty cents or five hundred dollars in all the carpet which their women had provided for their church after the rupture the prows of their canoes were headed north towards the land of freedom towards a haven of rest from petty spite and persecution and the sobs of parting were choked down and the brows lifted in hope and courage in that hour big with the future all was soon forgotten but the glorious hope of the morrow lying ahead of them though deprived of all they had toiled for during a lifetime though smarting under the cruel injustice which had in the name of holy church taken from them what was theirs and driven them from hearth and home appropriated their houses and gardens their church and school without a penny of compensation nevertheless this host of christians went forth to a strange land in their heart of hearts glad to sacrifice what they did for the sake of their faith and religion and smiling through their tears quite eight hundred and twenty-three of the nine hundred forty-eight constituting the population of the village left that fall for new metlakahtla some who did not belong to the bishop's party remained not because they sympathized with him but because they had not the moral courage to pull up stakes and start again in a strange land the real strength of the bishop's party did not at the time muster over ninety-four counting in his white retainers he and his followers did not hesitate to reap where they had not sown it was said that it was with a look of satisfaction the bishop contemplated his victory that he actually smiled when he saw these poor natives driven from home and all that was theirs had they not dared to oppose his divine lordship and now he and his adherents took possession theirs was the church and the school and the mission house and the weavery and the cannery and the sawmill, the store and the factories and the buildings and mr duncan's own house paid for out of his own private funds all all was theirs with none to dispute their title as the last fleet of canoes glided away over the placid waves of the inlet carrying those who had come to fetch some portion of what had belonged to them but who now were compelled to return with empty hands because the state's aid had not in vain been invoked by the church but had stayed their hands from taking what was theirs i fancy i can hear a satanic (laughs) ha ha echoing back from the mountain peaks as the bishop contemplated all the possessions which he had found on his hands but what easily comes easily goes the proverb says one day in 1901 fire from heaven devoured all the bishop's ill-gotten gains the magnificent church the school the cannery the factory buildings the mission house practically everything that had been stolen from these poor people went up in smoke carrying with it the bishop's private possessions his books and his manuscripts in fact all that he owned indeed mr duncan could say vengeance is mine saith the lord since that time the society has in 1903 built a small church it has built the ridley house a boarding school for half-breed indian children which still is in operation everything has been done by the provincial government to foster old metlakahtla and keep the dying mission there going a school for boys and a school for girls have been built and operated by the aid of ludicrously excessive grants from the government but it seems that the end of this artificial hothouse gardening has now come the government did in 1908 withdraw its support and both of the schools are now deserted the furniture was sold at auction in the summer of that year the new day school building erected by the government and just finished this summer will be wholly useless as there are school buildings enough and to spare for the present population which according to the figures furnished me by the indian agent totals one hundred eighty seven including the boarders at the schools of the many assistants of bishop ridley there now remain at old metlakahtla only the venerable missionary the rev j h keen who when i visited there during the summer of nineteen o eight acted as his own schoolmaster as well and Miss M. West, the principal of the Ridley Home, Bishop Duvernay has moved his Episcopal seat to Prince Rupert, a new town in the making on a neighboring island and the intended terminus of the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway. The Metlakatla Indians, still remaining at Old Metlakatla, had a windfall a year or so ago when the railroad company paid them something in the neighbourhood of fifty thousand dollars to acquire their reservation interest in the lands on which prince rupert is to be partly located this money has by these indians been invested in modern dwelling-houses chapter thirty four